Welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of Design Museum Everywhere. Each week on our show, we tackle a different element of design and explore how it impacts our everyday lives. We always have the help of a new guest co-host who's an expert in their field, and we interview a guest about their work in design. Because design is everywhere, and so are we. This week, we're talking about a new type of design firm, a new model for design firms working with startups. I'll be joined by the founder and creative director of the award-winning design agency, Box Clever, Brett Recor. And later on the show, Brett and I will chat with Jameson Pereira, co-founder at Eddy. Together, we'll learn about how the team at Box Clever invests in startups to bring designs from concept to market. But before we dive in, some news from the Design Museum. If you want to see more from Design Museum Everywhere, check out our traveling exhibition, Bespoke Bodies, the Design and Craft of Prosthetics, which is free and on view now through October 10th. This is our first exhibition in over a year in person, and it's at the Jossiloff Gallery at the University of Hartford in West Hartford, Connecticut. You can go check out designmuseumeverywhere.org for all the details. Hope to see you there. And with that, onto this week's topic. The team at Box Clever has a new model for running a design firm focused on working with early stage startups. It's centered less on the design for hire model and more about building relationships with innovative young companies. Box Clever takes ideas from concept to market using a creative strategy rooted in design principles. And they're committed to carrying out a challenge all the way to its most brilliant realization. So I'm excited to chat with our guest co-host, Brett Recor, the founder and creative director of Box Clever. After earning his bachelor's degree in fine arts, Brett got his master's of industrial design at Pratt Institute. He then worked as an industrial designer, designing watches for clients like Tiffany & Co. and Barney's. Later, Brett became the design director at Fuse Project in San Francisco. In 2012, Brett founded Box Clever, an award-winning design agency specializing in creating thoughtful consumer experiences. The firm has worked with clients such as Nebbia, Away, Caraway, and Eddy. Brett's work is part of the permanent collections of MoMA in New York City, SF MoMA in San Francisco, the Art Institute of Chicago, and the Center Pompidou. And his work has earned several awards, including Index, Spark, IDEA, and IF. Brett balances creative vision with real-world experience of industrial design, brand strategy, and business ventures. Brett, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is uh, it's really exciting. Yeah, and I love this topic because industrial design, product design, and like the business models around it are just fascinating to me. We saw you did an interview with Angela Ye, and you chatted with her about the process of this new hybrid model where Box Clever actually takes like a stake in these companies that you work with, allows you to be more of a partner. So can you talk about how that relationship works and how it's different from a design for hire model? Absolutely. Yeah. The old agency model is proven to work really well, but there's a proof of your value in order to grow and win kind of bigger accounts, right? And you grow these accounts and relationships. And what we've seen, and I learned a bit of this at a Fuse Project, you know, I I have to say that there was definitely some creativity going on there with the model of engagement. Um, How do you do more as a creative partner versus just doing what you're told to do and adding value outside of what's written in the scope? That's where we really talk about it with our early stage clients who say, look, we're not just going to do what you ask us to do. We're going to give you tremendous value and probably help you build out your entire roadmap for the next three years in this effort versus just trying to do the one thing and get them to market and then see what you do. It's a bit of having this like vision, this, this like 
three-year vision, asking more about where do you want to be, or we even say, we think you should be here because we're, we're not just designing what it looks like. We're thinking about the brand experience and a lot of great ideas come to the table in addition to what they brought in that could ultimately create a huge differentiation between them and their, their competitors. So we're really trying to, to push that model forward. So right now, over the last nine years, we've honed the model. Originally, we were just discounting services, taking creative capital, creative equity, and we're still doing that, but the model is evolving. And then this next year, we're actually going to shift the company to a newer model where we can add even more value. And at the same time, we become more of a creative partner that has some say in it. Not, we're not running the company, but we're really at the table when it comes down to a business decision around the, the company's strategy with their consumers. That sounds like a internal design team for hire. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing about a, an agency, right, is that you're, you're hiring a proven team. So you're hiring like the all-star team. You know they're good. Whereas if you build your own team, you have to hire the coach, you have to hire the players, and then you have to get them to play together and you have to have the output be at the quality. And you could go through a whole exercise of doing that in two years, the output isn't doing it. And so you, you have to then go hire an agency. So you, there's risk and we de-risk because we know how to, how to actually move things forward quickly and hit the target or exceed the expectation. So nuts and bolts backing up to the model, is like pay for service, right? Paying per project. Like you said, there's a brief. You're hired to do that brief, sort of the old model. And like you said, I had heard about some of this stuff happening at Fuse Project where you all discount services and then own part of the company, right? Is that how, is that correct? Yeah, there's a couple different variants. You know, and we're always trying to do it better. Usually it's you know, the old model, I guess the old, the old new model <laughs> is uh, we would take creative capital. So we would discount services. Usually you have you know, your margin to play with. I think it gets difficult when, when the company really doesn't have any resources. They're bootstrapping. They're, they're early. You know? And that's what we really like. When, when a company's pre-seed and they're just, they put in their own money and they have to go raise, who better to figure out how to raise than us where we can put some shape around it and help build the company so that you can pitch it, give up the least and get the most. That's really what you want to do in an early stage company. And, but if you just have an idea, you're presenting so much risk to an investor. The investors are like, I, I don't, those terms aren't going to work. I need more for less. In a way, you all are kind of like investors, <laughs> investing your creativity, your time. So I guess in terms of you being an investor, how do you decide or assess like which startups to work with and in effect invest in? Yeah, it's a question that comes up a lot, um, <laughs> especially when, when I talk to investors. Yeah. Uh, and they, they'll usually say, well, we did the analytics on it and we're, we're going to pass. And and I look right at them and I say, like, look, you you guys are looking at it from a numbers only and like how crowded a space is. You're not looking at it from design potential. And, and I, I always I reference back to Caraway a lot of times because it's like Caraway entered a space that was super crowded. You know, there were probably like 10 cookware brands in the market. All of them were feeding through the same outlets. And we introduced our product late. There was, I think, two other brands came out while we were working on the product. And so Jordan had a tough time convincing people that we were going to win. The way we won was with design. Like we, we worked closely with him. 
and we figured out really smart ways to look at the space differently. And you know, we're not we didn't discount the utility. We just came up with a lot of other aspects that that people look for in products, like how how they engage with you other than when they're used. Um, and that that's kind of one case that I go back to with investors. Like, look, yeah, they they could have just flopped out, but because of design, they were able to to lead. Yeah, that's awesome. We had a recent episode about design and entrepreneurship. We had Steve Hoffman, and it was really one of the first times I heard an investor say, you need designers on your founding team. He was like, you need a business person, a technologist, and third has to be a designer because otherwise, what is this? Like, what are you actually producing for the consumer? Are you finding that you all are like filling that role for a lot of these companies? Yeah, I think that especially like Caraway, it took some time for Jordan and I to to get our, our groove on, right? Like you have to, it's you're, you're getting to know each other, you understand your strengths, your weaknesses. Um, but I think once we figured that out, it allowed us to move faster um, and trust each other. And I think that's the thing that it's really important with any founder uh, like group. You have to have this this like shared mission and you have to learn your strengths and you get, you have to be different. The designer perspective is really key. And even if it's not the right discipline in design, the, you know, if you have a graphic designer or, um, you know, you look at cross, you know, if even if it's an industrial designer that doesn't traditionally work in product or there may be more into experience or another, another industry, that helps a lot because you're looking at the design process and what design can do. Whereas if you don't have that, you, you're just trying to like check a box with design. That could be the death of a product. If you just like topically design something by and have like, not, not to, to ditch you know, young designers, but a young designer doesn't have the experience or the brain trust of, of an agency. And we put in like 20 people on a project just to get, to get the perspectives down early. And that, that's very hard to do as one person. I'm curious, going back to like that trust building and relationship building between like a founder and either designer or a design agency, what's your advice for helping to like build that creative trust? I think it's get the right engagement for how you work. And that's one of the secrets for us is we, we talk about being collaborative and we are, we, we want to make sure we understand, we get aligned early, we immerse ourselves in the process, but we leverage the, the founders or the people on the team, stakeholders to come educate us on what we don't know. We're, we're very good at like, we know certain things, we're consumers, right? Leverage that, work together to make sure you identify some of the, the key challenges and opportunities. Um, so we do that with, with all of our clients, but I think if, if I was a founder and I'm looking for an agency, you have to make sure that it's the right process for you. Some people don't wanna be involved, which I think is dangerous. Sometimes you can be surprised with something that you don't want after a long, long amount of long time and spending a lot of money. I hear a lot from corporate designers saying stuff like, I love that I get to build things and like get to see them all the way through, but I get bored because it's the same types of projects. And then on the flip side from consultants, I hear, I love all these different projects I get to work on, but I'm not really building anything. So have you all found like the middle ground where you get to work on a lot of cool things and actually like see them through? Yeah. Because we work with a lot of young companies, they pretty much all have to go to market. Otherwise, the company doesn't succeed. So our, our track record for launching products is pretty good. And then we, we stay involved all the way through. So it's great for designers to not just 
throw a design over the fence, so to speak, and then and then see how it turns out. Because that's where a lot of stuff goes off the rails and turns out different from what we intended. Um, and there's there's always reasons for it, right? But being involved, we're able to work through some of the challenges with holding costs or figuring out how to uh, increase yield and uh, efficiencies through the, the process of manufacturing. So I think the, the one thing we've identified too is that there's this um, this need for designers to have an outlet where we work on things that are more ownable. Um, so what we did is we, we've always had like lab projects in the studio and some of them are more conceptual. We'll launch them and we'll just show our perspective uh, in a space. Uh, and now we're moving that with, as we move forward into the evolution of Box Clever, we're, we're moving it to where we have a lab that can actually conceptualize business opportunities, validate them. And then if they are worthwhile, we'll incubate them into a business and figure out how to do it. So that's, that's, uh, that's coming. We're working on some now. I love that though. I mean, that's just being clever with the different business models, you know, around design. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing all of that, your journey and, and what you're working on and what, you know, what's coming soon. I, I appreciate it very much. Absolutely. So yeah, listeners to see more of Brett's work, visit boxclever.com and that's B-X-C-L-V-R.com. And Brett, stick around and we'll pick the conversation up with Jameson after a quick break. Design Night Live is back. Join us on Saturday, September 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern for a night filled with all things design. Design Night Live is a Saturday night filled with prizes, familiar faces, networking, a silent auction, and more. We have the amazing Design Matters host, Debbie Millman, as our keynote speaker. During this interactive virtual event, attendees from all over will come together to celebrate design and the effect that storytelling has on all of us. We'll be sharing the vision and impact of Design Museum everywhere and hear from designers from around the world about how storytelling can be so transformative. Join Design Museum everywhere for a night filled with inspiring company and incredible prizes. Get your tickets today. Visit designnightlive.org. See you there. We're back and we're joined by our special guest, Jameson Pereira. Jameson is the co-founder of Eddy, a new startup that is launching a sustainable soap dispenser for the modern home. Prior to Eddy, Jameson earned his bachelor's in business administration from UMass Amherst. He then served as an infantry officer for the U.S. Army. After seven years of service and two bronze stars, Jameson received his MBA from the Wharton School. He moved on to manage at Bain & Company, a global management consulting firm. In 2020, Jameson and Sarah Pura co-founded Eddy which seeks to make the everyday extraordinary with timeless homeware that considers the habitat as well as the home. Jameson's current designs offer a sustainable solution for your favorite suds with all natural scented hand soaps packaged in aluminum. Jameson, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. Great to have you. To start, I wanted to learn more about the founding of Eddie. Curious, like the origin story and also how your travels sort of have informed what you're doing now. Yeah, so Epe did a variety of projects for kind of large global global clients, growth of strategy, marketing strategy, most specifically for for a global retailer. Uh, I joined Bain after getting my my MBA from Wharton, and seven years in the army, so I lived all over the world, a few few deployments to to Afghanistan. The origin story of of Eddie is towards towards the end of my time at Bain, like we all we all kind of felt the plastic waste crisis. And as 
you know, my personal life for consumers, I, I looked around and saw great alternatives for like in food and beverage categories. We all love your swells and yetis and decayas. They're better than, than the the unsustainable plastic, single-use plastic alternative, but it's not something there for, for personal care, uh, for products, product categories like hand soap, lotions, et cetera. Something that is better than an alternative. It makes you know being sustainable the obvious choice. And set out to there to, to solve for that, um, making it easy to be sustainable, and you know the giving you that that carrot to make the switch towards a towards a more sustainable alternative. I love that. Yeah, make it easy for folks. Can you tell us about the like what the product experience is like? I love the audio format because obviously our listeners can't see it. So what is it like to use Eddie? Our our watch product is this beautifully designed. Uh, stainless steel dispenser system. So a pump dispenser system that takes an aluminum refill. That aluminum refill has has the hand soap, the lotion already inside of it. So all you need to do is pop it inside the dispenser system, use the hand soap, then toss it in with your recycling. So uh, in with your other aluminum cans. So it's as easy of a sustainable action as we could as we could think and and as easy as a refill experience as we could think of. As as simple as you know the when the status quo is you buy your single-use plastic, and it goes into the bin. The alternative needs to be as easy. So our our kind of unique value prop is design and home decor. That's where we worked with Box Clever. We focus on home home aesthetics, beautiful kind of clean, organic uh, form language in the design, and uh, we have four kind of robust and vibrant colors as our launch colors, and two upgraded metallic finishes. So we want it to be a decor piece that deserves a place in your countertop that stays there and lasts and you're you're excited to keep it there for the long term. I want to learn all about the process with Black Clover, but first, where'd the name come from? What, what does Eddie mean? Why? Yeah. <laughs> so Eddie, uh, E-D-D-I, it comes from the machine that's at the recycling centers that makes sorting and separating aluminum and other metals so efficient. It's called an Eddie card generator. So a swirling magnetic current current that kind of, if you ever see a video of it or visit a center at the beginning of the process, all the metals are kind of flying off the conveyor belt into some bins. And then the plastics and everything else moves down to the next station where it's like hand-picked, hand-sorted or not uh, in, in today's environment. So it comes from from that machine that makes it so economical and kind of advantageous to recycle aluminum like cost-effectively and locally. You know, it's Wherever you live, it's probably pretty nearby. Yeah, totally. So when in your sort of origin story process were you like, we need design? Yeah, I think that at the time that I was kicking this off, I was you know, moving into my, moving in with my my now wife, big design, design focus in her life. We were kind of building our first home and gained a new appreciation for curating your space and like the delightful moments that you like love about your own personal space. And you know, through her, through her work, knew that like design is is not something to be overlooked, and like the the value that great design brings kind of sparks the imagination of like of an alternative of something different in the future. Like where our goal is to give something customer customer something that's both like familiar and intuitive, but totally different from what they're they're used to. And wanted the every ounce of our time and investment to to go towards crafting that that product, and everything else would everything else would follow. And Brett, so how did you get connected? When did you first hear from Jameson and the team? Yeah, one of the partners we work with, 
an investment partner who we team up with a lot. They sometimes will introduce something that we that they see as interesting and they want to get our perspective on from the like I said before, like the design perspective versus the the analytics. Yeah, yeah. And the design, like, hey, do you ever get the from an investor like, hey, check this out, help de-risk this because <laughs> I'm really interested. Yeah, and and um, you know, Idea Farm is in they they've they invested in other things as well. Yeah, and we we hit it off from the first conversation. It's something that I'm their mission is something I'm very passionate about. Um, you know, I always say like the the big problem with product is that it all will end its life. So you have to think about that early. And so when they came in talking about um, you know rethinking the system and really calling out the facts about recycling and why they're they were moving to this this metal based system versus plastic based it was an easy decision for me to to try to find a way to work with with same james and sarah yeah i remember our our first meeting like we you know we talked to several designers but like the first the first meeting with brett he immediately cued into what we're what our vision was what we were trying to accomplish like i distinctly remember him saying like you're you're right like today's eco brands push like the pain points of of sustainable products onto the consumer to figure out instead of taking it on on themselves whether it's like hey this is this can be more sustainable if you tear it apart and like put it in different bins and like deliver one back to the to the store and we kind of firmly believe that environmental impact is both like the sustainable action of 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 what you're doing but times like adoptability like it's it's products that people need to need to love and and Brett immediately immediately bought in. Yeah, we we both uh, it resonated because I said that you you have to come up with an eco solution that doesn't create a compromise in the in the product and experience. Because as soon as you do that, people are like, "Yeah, I feel good about it," but it it's just it's an extra step, uh, or it it confuses like everything else in my life. I I don't want to. I'm not enjoying it. So it needs to be delightful and accomplish this move along where we're we're making progress in a into a more sustainable system jameson we uh in the previous segment you know brett was kind of giving me the rundown on, on their model around creative equity and discounted services so how did that as you as the founder the entrepreneur when you were evaluating working with designers like what was that like for you in terms of basically like having brett and his team like as another investor kind of yeah he was early days, like designing the thing was, was our, as I said, like our main priority. So I knew, I knew of Brett, I knew of Box Clever, you know, I knew of their like amazing product portfolio. So putting aside kind of the, the investment dollars that investment in us that like note that we were on the, on the right track from them, from this caliber of, of designers that have made so many amazing products and believe that they could, you know, accomplish the vision and kind of voting with their, their wallets a little bit met met the world at the time and still and still does those little votes of confidence from from outsiders from strangers mean mean the world and and that was early days for Brett a lot of my work at Bain was helping clients think about how to partner with with their outsiders how to get you know more out of their out of their contracts and and outsourcing and and, and a key lesson was like the, the more aligned the two parties are, the better the outcomes. And I've seen that come to fruition through our, our relationship with with Box Clever. Like they're they're absolutely just part of the team. They are Brett and kind of the everyday team, and, and Ken and Judy are 
they work for Boxcover, but they are like part of the VNE team, and they're the extension of our like product development department and advisors on on all things. You know, they're in early days that was that was concepting, and to today that's you know we'll get on the phone with the manufacturers tomorrow, bring it home to things that are totally outside of their scope in web design, kind of the our language and voice and brand voice, just because they've been around the the space so much. That's cool. That's actually strikes because I know, Brett, you were saying like this allows for a more comprehensive design. It's striking me that you as a investor in quotes, not maybe not even in quotes, you have a vested interest in this succeeding. And to Jameson's point, doing stuff maybe out of scope to ensure success. Yeah, there's there's two things there. It's like the the trust and then the the having more uh, you know, influence in the the outcome in a positive way where we're we're not trying to like hold the design because we're designers we're trying to help them win from a design and business standpoint so we're we're trying to create the best experience but we're very sensitive to what it takes and so we have this very open dialogue around what something's going to cost what are the complexities associated with it what is it going to take to message that like how do we make sure that we're balanced and we're not just saying design it how I said to design it because I'm the designer. That is very like celebrity design ego, right? And I don't think I've ever ever said that to Jameson. <laughs> um, I don't think I've ever said that to any client, uh, but but it is, there is a lot of trust. It's two-way street. Yeah, can you talk, both of you talk about how you build that trust? I think I read Brett somewhere, you mentioned that's kind of like dating, like before you get married. So what was it like building the trust between the Eddie team and the Box Clover team? What did you do? Uh, I always talk about Sarah Jameson being one of my favorite clients because we we don't try to hide anything. We we really just say it when it comes up, and we'll have a call, and we we have a lot of phone calls. Early on, we had we had probably more than than most because we were talking about design work, but we were also talking about strategic um, approach to the mission, and that was with fundraising and logistics and partners and people we should talk to. Um, I joined a lot of outside conversations with vendors and so did, so did our team, like Ken and Judy are still on a lot of those calls, like Jameson said, but when we were selecting a manufacturer, we were all on those calls. It wasn't just like, good luck, you know, and that's not in our scope. You know, we're not like a sourcing partner, but we're there. And that's so many times where it fails, right? Because you design this beautiful thing and you're like, well, see you later. And, but the, you know, the entrepreneur may have no experience in the manufacturing world. So that's amazing. Yeah. And I think there's like the dating is like the first stage is probably like meeting the parents, which is, you know, like kind of getting to know each other a little deeper. Um, and, and it really goes along with some of the, like behind what we're trying to do and the, the, the mission and the business. And that's probably one of the first non-designer questions that we asked was like what are you doing in terms of roadmap and business goals and we had that conversation pretty early and then we we leveraged that whenever we were in the design process and we, we bring it back and we talk about is this the right decision based on where we want to be or is where we're going changing and and i think that dialogue has made the current product come to market the way it has uh and it'll pave the road for for future offerings yeah, I'll add two things for Sarah and I before we before we kicked off with Box Clever and we were thinking about how do we cultivate a relationship from from step one. Like we went out and talked to other industrial designers and and other 
design disciplines of how like what what's the best way that they get a scope of work or a you know a design design intent document from a client so that we weren't overly prescriptive or overly overly vague in how we deliver it. I think it set the tone that we were going to give like general guidance. We we do we wanted to be heavily involved, but we weren't we wanted their expertise and box covers expertise and knowledge as much as possible and invited that feedback. And then like as you're building the relationship, like I think it's incredibly important. We've done it with our other partners that have come since to like get past the the apprehension to be like vulnerable about what you do know and don't know and just and kind of putting yourself out there like where your areas of expertise or knowledge lie where they don't so that the other party can fill in the gaps if they're able to or, or take the initiative to make the right introduction. Yeah, check the pride at the door <laughs> for the benefit of the business, you know, the product. I guess this is the the elephant in the room with right now in the world. Um, you you guys were the first client of ours to do the whole process completely virtual. So we usually have like a lot of hands-on work with our clients. And I first I want to say thank you because you guys like helped us figure it out. But um but yeah, how was that process not being able to to work on a physical product in person for the last year and almost a year and a half? Yeah, but we haven't you and I haven't seen each other face to face. You like came to New York, it was like the last possible flight <laughs> uh, before everything before, before everything shut down. We met on March twelfth and I left on March thirteenth. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. In New York. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, it was it was an adventure. I think that was part of our relationship building. Was you know Sarah and I like reflected of of what it of what a huge structural shift it must have been for you for for you guys with such established processes over so many years of how to develop a product and need to figure it out. And so we were more than happy to like give you guys the space and help where we could to be able to figure it out. It's funny I can't compare it to anything else. I think that. We we adapted like the the sending things you know sending three D prints across the country to take a look at and then getting you guys being generous and making extras and, and more than we typically would so that we could mail them around to the people that were going to test at each round was an adventure but kind of made us I don't know hyper aware of how we're going to be direct to consumer initially like we're going to mail things to that the customers aren't going to aren't going to interact with the the product for for the first time in a beautiful box cover studio with all the the trappings of successful design. They're gonna get a box um, with something inside, and that's how Sarah and I f- have always first experienced the product. And then throughout our testing of of mailing things and, and you know video testing with with friends, it's how we had to uh, we had to create video boxy experiences and testing experiences to get people in the in the hour that we had them to enjoy and and try out the the product and give us some unbiased feedback so that we could take it into the next round of refinement so it was an adventure but we we figured it out together yeah i guess one other thing is like was there a moment of there's always a moment when you you have to make a decision and when we were in concept phase we had to narrow right and was there ever a moment when it was like maybe it's too much because I think that happens a lot and you've never said it to me. So I'm going to ask you here and put you on the spot, but like, do you ever go like, uh, maybe this isn't the right time. And I, cause I think a lot of founders have it like either they hold it internally or they, they do talk to advisors about what 
you know, maybe they should pump the brakes or pause. Did you guys have that? Did you, I know you and Sarah kind of like you're a united front, which is great, but I don't know. Just was there a moment like that? Yeah. I mean, when, when the world was crazy, there was definitely, there, there was definitely like those moments. And I mean, I, I don't know, there probably, there probably is still to some extent, but there's a, yeah, like initially when it seemed hard and far away and it was difficult to see like what it could, could possibly be. And there was, key decisions to make with without the data to to clearly tell you which which direction to go yeah it's scary but like we felt we had the conviction from the confidence we got from you guys we put things in front of people our personal support networks that you keep going to the next little mini milestone um it's just at the early days it was the next the next 3d print the next like user test we were so excited about what we were building, and like every time we put it, made it a little bit more real, and put it in front of somebody, they were they were getting equally excited. And you take those little moments to kind of run with them. But yes, every founder story you hear, successful founder story you hear, is a is a journey of like not giving up where others have. Yeah, just to rewind a little bit. So when we engaged early, you know, we were talking about some of like the partnership aspects, and I know we did the concept work and then we created the mock-ups that we were kind of doing some concept validation and then we also did like this rework of assets for pitch was there a moment when you saw the value shift from the business plan to the actual design with investors and with other people you're talking to and trusted advisors yeah absolutely the <laughs> i like i think back to like what what i was showing people at first which is essentially crayons and and yeah, like like I was just mentioning, the I, I now tell like other founders that are thinking about getting into stuff. It's you know they're 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 worried about raising for raising money for years down the road, and it's really like how do I get it at this stage? Like how do I get this thing to be like a little bit more real? And when you have the level of renderings that you're able to provide, even in those early early days, we still hadn't decided on an exact on an exact concept, being able to iteratively show that this is becoming more and more real yielded better and better 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 results to where we are today where i hold up i hold up something in front of the camera and demo when i when i go do those pictures and that'll evolve into sending samples to people's houses Um, it's just like a this process of making it slightly more real at every stage and every bit of that is his box covers influence because because i because i can't open cad uh so <laughs> well well yeah it's it, it's funny it's like um it's like you make movie props to make the movie and then ultimately we're making the merchandise in the movie at the end so it's like a very long process right <laughs> like you have to get get everyone excited to make the movie and then you have to make the movie with the props and then you have to deliver then you got to sell them the lunch boxes and the action figures. Yeah, that's a great. <laughs> but gosh, the value is just, I'll say like this, another just anecdote of, I, I end up judging a lot of like startup competitions, a lot of student competitions. And it's just so evident to me who has a designer on their team and who doesn't. I mean, it's just like, and this stuff matters, right? The visuals, to your point, Jameson, like how real does it seem? Can I see this fitting into my life? And that's all design. I mean, that was going to be one of my final questions, but I'll ask it now. You've already answered it. Just startups are so hard. You know, how does design make it less hard? Right. It's a, I mean, I think especially in, in consumer products, you're, you're giving somebody this thing that's going to 
that's going to find its way into their into their home, into their private lives in some in some way, and you want to, they're making those decisions purely off of like the hope and the promise of what they're going to get in the mail, and every aspect of the brand of the product needs to come through, and like you could use every tool that under the sun to to you know, to try to build like a loyal customer base, but it's going to be do they love the thing that you've given them? That's going to be the thing the most, and can't imagine having a less like a lesser of a design capability uh invested throughout our our process um to and what the outcome could have been like i have no idea what the alternative could have could have could have been uh but i'm very glad that we that we focused on it uh, as much as we did yeah i think design creates these magical bonds with people and when we when it's done right you you don't think about what it is, you just enjoy it. And, um, and I think the other aspect of that is like what we try to do is de-risk as a design partner. We, we're trying not to just force something from an aesthetic standpoint only. It has to be beautiful, but it also has to like fit in the right way in, in your life. Plus, it has to be economically viable with the business model, right? So it's like, we can't just let let one of those go away and so design like our design process thinks about all those things at once that's awesome jameson thank you so much for being here sharing your story i want this product now so you definitely have a fan here but yeah thanks for being here thanks sam listeners to see more of jameson's work visit meeteddy.com and that's meet edd.com we'll post the link Now it's that time. Every week we share our weekly dose of good design, our examples of good, thoughtful design that has impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I'll kick us off. I talk about Disney Plus Marvel shows a lot on this podcast, but I loved the new Marvel show, Loki. I think of the three shows that they've done, it's my favorite. Story is great, characters and acting are awesome, but I was like blown away by these like retro futuristic products and technology without giving anything away. There's an organization, it's called the Time Variance Authority or TVA, and it kind of protects the timeline of like our lives. Anyway, they have all these like gadgets and they're all designed in like this like retro magical tech reminiscent of like 1960s, 70s. And as an industrial designer, I'm like zeroing in on these. So a couple examples, they have like a temp pad, they call it, which is like basically their iPhone. And it's got like wood paneling and like these like brass details and like real buttons and an orange and black like monochrome screen. There's a character. It's kind of like a holographic AI assistant. It's like Siri, but like it's called Miss Minutes. And it's like you say, oh, Miss Minutes, I have a question. And this little like 1930s cartoon character like pops up like in space and they just like chat with Miss Minutes. So that's awesome. And then the last one I'll mention is the I think they call it the hollow projector, which is kind of this like or high gloss orange sphere with like the face cut off. So then there's like a circular screen that has like a color, you know, full color screen, but it projects onto the wall and it projects moments from your life, but it still runs on like a reel to reel. So there's like an actual tape that's playing. It's, it's wild. The production design team was led by Kasra Farahani. And it just seems like they had an awesome time with this. So check out Loki on Disney plus streaming now. You're up, Brett. What's your weekly dose? 
Well, uh, I, I'm going to frame up Eddie, um, our new launch as, as my weekly dose for everyone. Um, it launch, it launches tomorrow or well, we're, we're early in time. So we're, we're a bit of Loki here. We're on the, the timeline. Um, so yeah, it, it's going to, going to launch shortly and then it will ship, um, later in September. Uh, but it's amazing for us. It's been a long, long project in terms of, uh, how we worked on this one. We worked, this project was done completely through lockdown and COVID. So, um, we had to learn some new tools and make it happen, but the design is beautiful, functional and purposeful. I think it's really the the main hit is that we're rethinking the system of um, how you get your your soap and other products coming to you in aluminum uh, being used in a long-standing pump system that's made out of uh, of metal and steel. So we're we're trying to remove as much plastic from our lives as possible, and then on top of it, make something beautiful that fits into your home and offering a range of options so you're not just stuck with the standard plastic dispenser that you would get from bed bath and beyond so we're we're elevating and we're also making an impact so it's really exciting so yeah check it out meet eddie thank you for sharing that listeners if you have a great weekly dose of good design you can tweet it share it with me on twitter i'm at sam aquilano and uh yeah people have been sending the weekly doses which takes the pressure off of me i love it so keep those weekly doses coming i'll be sharing them in upcoming episodes and brett thank you so much for being here i loved this conversation i love the work that you're doing thanks for sharing that's our show i want to again thank brett recor and jameson Pereira for joining us and thanks everyone for listening We'll post links to the resources we discussed today on our episode page. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast. As always, you can find us on social media. On Twitter, we're at design underscore museum. And on Instagram, we're at design museum everywhere. We're also on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. And we have an awesome weekly email newsletter that you can sign up for right on our website. Also, be sure to rate, review, subscribe to Design is Everywhere. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, your ratings and reviews mean a lot to us and help other people find our show. This episode was written, edited, and produced by Amor Yates with additional editing by Emily Roberts and research support and writing by Tanya Chapla. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For the entire team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thanks for being here with us, and we'll talk again next week.